coming up on Philosophy Talk. I want to say one thing to the American people. Self-deception. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Self-deception is a part of every life, a key ingredient of the human condition. I feel that life is, is divided up into the horrible and the miserable. Those are the two categories, you know? The, the, the horrible would be like, um, I don't know, terminal cases, you know, and blind people, yeah. crippled. I don't know how they get through life. It's amazing to me. You know, and the miserable is everyone else. So, so when you go through life, you should be thankful that you're miserable. If we couldn't deceive ourselves, we probably couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Don't wake him up. He's got insomnia. He's trying to sleep at all. Our guest is Neil Van Leeuwen from the University of Johannesburg. Self-deception. Okay, you want to know the truth? No. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Self today, self-deception. Self-deception is rampant in human affairs. Too much self-deception, a bad thing. But you know, Ken, a little self-deception may be just what a person needs to get through the day. We should never underestimate the power of positive illusions. Uh, What convinces you of that? I'm not sure I believe that, John. Well, psychological studies show that people who are overly optimistic about their own abilities often have enhanced motivation, which enables them to do better in the face of challenges than people with more realistic views of their own limitations. Well, you know, I I know those studies, but, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure that for every one person who benefits from self-deception, there are scads who get burned by it. I mean, think of the pathological gambler who goes bankrupt betting on a sure thing, or, or a battered wife who keeps returning to her abuser, confident that he won't do it again. Or, or think of the mass self-deception that causes the American electorate to believe we can have lower taxes, more government services, and a balanced budget, all, all at the same time. Self-deception leads to ruin, John. It always leads to ruin. Oh, not always. You're such a gloom guy, Ken. I mean, like many facets of human life, self-deception has both a dark side and a light side. Come out with me. Let's do some walking on sunshine. The key to happiness is to stay on the light side and avoid the dark side. Oh, gosh, John, I don't know. Maybe. But, you know, before we can settle whether self-deception is on balance a good thing, like you seem to be sort of suggesting, or a bad thing like I know, we need to think more about just what self-deception is and how it actually works. Okay, okay. Now, when you stop and think about it, self-deception actually has an air of paradox about it. Right. It's easy to see how you can deceive somebody else. Maybe you hide or distort some fact, or maybe you straight out lie to them and like a fool, they believe you. There may be something wrong, definitely is something morally wrong about deceiving others, but at least it's logically coherent. And it can be highly advantageous for me to deceive someone else to get you to believe what I know to be false. But in self-deception, the deceiving party and the deceived party are one and the same, and that's what makes it so puzzling. In order to be the DCV, you have to believe things that you know in your role as deceiver are false. But if you know something to be false, how can you believe it? 
You can't just decide to believe something like that. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. You you can pretend to believe things that you know are false, but self-deception doesn't seem to involve pretense. That's not self-deception. That's pretense. It seems to involve straight-out believing and believing something that at some level you know you know isn't true. So so to self-deceive, you've got to simultaneously believe and disbelieve the same thing. At some level, a gambler knows he's betting on losing propositions. But at another level, he really believes he has a chance of winning. It, it sounds pretty irrational, but, but is it even possible? That's a good question. It's one question that a good theory of self-deception needs to answer. We know self-deception is possible. It's obviously possible. But explaining just how it's possible, that's no simple thing. A good theory of self-deception had also better explain how self-deception manages to have become so pervasive for humans. Right. I mean, we humans pride ourselves in being paragons of rationality. After all, our brains have created science, art, mathematics, politics, and last but not least, philosophy. But right alongside all these cool things that we've done is there is this capacity for rampant self-deception. Why do we have this capacity in the first place? Did natural selection specifically design our brains, besides to create art and science, also to create self-deception? And, and which of us is right? Can lying to yourself sometimes be the key to human happiness? Or will it inevitably, as you think, lead you to misery and ruin? We'll put these questions and more to Neil Van Leeuwen, one of the world's up-and-coming authorities on self-deception. He'll be joining us in a bit from the University of Johannesburg. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Jill Replegal, takes a closer look at both the light and the dark sides of self-deception. She files this report. You have no messages. Were you obsessing, pacing back and forth, staring at your phone for days? Maybe he lost my number, or is out of town, or got hit by a cab. Or maybe he has no interest in seeing you again. That's Justin Long and Jennifer Goodwin from the 2009 comedy He's Just Not That Into You. Like the characters in the movie, we deceive ourselves all the time. About relationships, about what's good for us, about what we should and shouldn't be afraid of. We're good at it. So it's really all about our ability to tell ourselves stories about how what we're doing is really okay. Dan Ariely is a behavioral economist who studies irrationality. How could lying to ourselves be a good thing? Well, Ariely says that self-deception has some important functions. For one thing, it may help us get up in the morning. Life is really lots of time uh, quite miserable with lots of bad things happening. Do we really want to acknowledge all the time how many bad things can happen? Or is there some stuff that we're better off not seeing? Deceiving ourselves can also help us get what we want. If you're cheating or lying or just fronting a little bit to get, say, a hot girl or a good job, it's a lot easier if you believe yourself. If you cheat but you don't believe in what you're cheating, you might flinch. But if you cheat and you convince yourself that you are really uh, telling the truth, uh, then you might not flinch at all. Of course, self-deception has its dark side. For one thing, it can help explain why many people remain in unhealthy situations or abusive relationships. There has to be some level of self-deception that it makes any sense to stay in a place where you can be hurt and possibly killed. You know, it just doesn't make human sense. Zelda, not her real name, spent much of her youth in a mentally and physically abusive relationship. At age 23, she fell in love with a man who drew her into a cult-like family. He persuaded her to break off her relationships with relatives and friends. He convinced her that, together, they would create a better society inside their home. You know, he, one of the things he used to say was, you know, trust me until you know otherwise for yourself. 
like until you figure it out, you know, just just trust me. So if, we, if, I, if there was something that didn't seem quite right, it was just because I didn't understand it yet. She gradually became convinced of every aspect of her partner's vision and the need to isolate their family from the evils in the world. Even when her partner's drug-infused rages turned violent, Zelda never thought of leaving. Usually he was on drugs when there was a, an episode of physical, actually physical violence. So that was one of the big rationalizations and um, ways we could make it separate from the rest of our life because it only happened when he was under the influence. For 15 years, Zelda stuck to her conviction that no matter how crazy things got inside her home, it was worse out there. Only after she and her abuser were both sent to jail and their children taken away, did she break the cycle of self-deception. It's really a nightmare, but human beings are so able to rationalize things and tell themselves stories um, to make an excuse, a reason, some kind of rationalization for why this needs to happen and why it's okay and why how you can continue and go on and maybe it won't be the same in the future. Human beings are, are like really, really creative and skilled at that. It's amazing. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Jill Replobel. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.